Well, hello, folks, and welcome to not only my favorite TV show, your favorite TV show, and quite frankly, the most popular one ever made, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? This is really exciting today because we're having a special celebrity edition. We're going to be bringing on a celebrity. Our questions may be a little bit different just because some of these celebrities are not the sharpest tools in the shed, if you know what I mean. So we may be helping them out a little bit as we go along. But this celebrity that we brought in today, uh, quite frankly, I'm a lot more famous than her, but it's okay. She's still a great find. Can you give a huge welcome to MTV's ridiculous, famous show, Jersey Shore star, Nicole Snooky Polizzi. Hi, everybody. Now, good to have you on the show, Nicole. Can I call you that, Nicole? You can call me Snooky. Okay, we'll do Snooky. Let's get right to the game. As you know, I'll be asking you one question at a time, and each question will move you closer to winning one million dollars. Mm, oh my gosh. Now, Snooki, you'll also get three lifelines here. Now, do you know how the three lifelines work? I know exactly how this show works. I watch this show every single day after I get my spray tan, and let me tell you, I am going to win the one million dollars. And when I do, I'm going to give 5% of my winnings today to my charity. Wow, 5%, Snooki, mm -hmm. that's uh, that's very generous. Mm -hmm. And what charity might that be? It's called Snooki's Cookies. And basically what we do is we go down to the Jersey Shore and we sell cookies at a discounted rate to all the guidos and the guidettes that are hanging out down there. And to be quite honest with you, this is a cause that is very near and dear to my heart because before I got super wealthy from my reality TV show, I would have to pay a full price for cookies. Wow. And all over the place, especially in Jersey, people are paying full price for cookies. And so we've really made an impact. Wow, that, that sounds mm -hmm. like a disaster that you're helping it is. find a way out of. Mm -hmm. and quite frankly, everyone loves cookies, mm -hmm. and it sounds like you're saving lives. So, Snooky, why don't we go ahead and get started with okay. the first question for $100. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Question one for $100. What ocean is New Jersey shoreline located on? A, Atlantic. B, Pacific, C, Indian, or D, Jersey? Okay, this is an easy one. Since I'm from New Jersey, the answer is D, the Jersey Ocean. Final answer. Are you sure? The final answer? You really want that to be your final I'm answer? I'm positive. Okay, Snooky, is this correct? No, it is not. I'm sorry that's incorrect. But you know what, Snooky? You're in luck because this is celebrity millionaire, so I'm going to let you take one more stab at that. Okay. okay, so why don't you just go ahead and mark out D, Jersey. So you still have A, Atlantic, B, Pacific, okay. or C, Indian. So it's one of those three. Well, if it's not the Jersey Ocean, then it has to be the ocean that's right next to it. And since there's a ton of Italians in New Jersey, including myself. I'm 100% Italian. I am a guidette, what, what? I would have to say it's the Italian Ocean, final answer. Italian Ocean. 
Snooky, that wasn't even on the, uh, the list. Italian Ocean. It's not on the list. But you know, uh, to do you a favor, I think in my mind that she was probably thinking, I'm sure the audience thinks this as well, she was probably thinking the Atlantic Ocean because mm. that touches Italy mm. and that's probably what's going through her mind. So you know what, I'm going to give you that one. You just got that question correct yeah. for $100. But you know what, audience, since we're running out of time, and since I'm so ridiculously filthy rich, we're just going to move on to the final million-dollar question. I'm sure you don't have a problem with that, Snooky. So here it is, the million-dollar question for Snooky Scoop. Snooky, how many fingers am I holding up? There's no tricks to this. Is it A, one? B2, C3, or D4? How many fingers am I holding up? Okay, I've had this question before, and it definitely is a trick question. Are you counting your thumb or not? I'm not gonna be tricked this time. You're not counting your thumb. I'm gonna go with my gut, and my gut's telling me the answer is A1, A. Okay. Snooky, uh, like I told you earlier, this is not a trick question. It is not a. Okay. Okay, how many fingers am I holding up? Okay. Okay, holding up. How many fingers am I holding up? So it's not one, it's not a, you know that. So it's either B2, C3, or D4. Okay. Just go ahead and give it another shot there, Snooky. Well, the thing is, I wasn't sure if you were counting your thumb or not. Now I know you are counting your thumb in it. So my my answer, I'm changing it. It's going to be C3. C3, that's my final answer. You're not tricking me this time. My <laughs> thumb is not up. My thumb is down. I'm not tricking you. Why don't you just say B2? Okay, but if you're tricking me this time, Snooky's Cookies is going to be so mad at you. I'm not tricking you, Snooky. Okay. B2. I guess B2 is my final answer. Is she correct? She is, <gasps> Snooky. You have just won a million dollars for Snooky's Cookies. Snooky's Cookies, that everybody. That is so I'm sure oh that's going to change many lives. Mm -hmm. Snooky, thank you so much for thank coming you. on the show. And again, please join us next time on the most famous show in the world. And remember to ask yourself the most famous question in the world. Who, Who wants to be a millionaire? millionaire? Snooky's Cookies. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. And please pray for our staff. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 11. I'm going to get there in just a minute. Uh, this weekend, we're talking about who wants to be a millionaire, our game show series. And uh, there's some notes if you want to follow along on the backside of the bulletin that you received when you came in. There was a book a couple of years ago that was written uh, called The Day America Told the Truth. And it basically was a, uh, uh, it was a survey that was done, a secular survey that was done to see what people would do for a million dollars or five million dollars or ten million dollars. And um, so they asked, how far would you go for $10 million? And here were the responses. Actual surveys done. This was not a Christian book. Just, just seeing what the, the mentality of the American public. 25% said they would abandon all of their friends for $10 million. 
23% said they would work as a prostitute for a week for $10 million. 16% said they'd give up their U.S. citizenship for $10 million. 10% said they would hold, withhold a testimony so a murderer could go free for $10 million. 7% said they would murder a stranger for $10 million. Watch your neighbors. Uh, 6% said they would change their race, and 4% said they would have a sex change operation for $10 million. What motivates people to, to do crazy things and bizarre things for money? Well, it's a real simple word. It's called greed, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's the first blank in your notes. Greed is the desire to acquire gone haywire. Greed is the desire to acquire gone haywire. That's what I want to talk about this weekend. Greed. It's a desire to acquire gone haywire. We see it in Scripture. We see it with, with Eve when she had a desire to acquire forbidden fruit. We see it with Esau when he was willing to sell his birthright and, uh, and his blessing to his brother Jacob. We see it with a rich young ruler who turned away from Jesus and refused to follow him because he wouldn't give up the riches of this world. And we see it with the 12th disciple, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Greed. It's a desire to acquire that's, that's gone haywire. The problem with greed, though, it's most connected with, or it's most um, linked to receiving or getting. And, and as we talk about this subject and what the Bible has to say about it, uh, and again, in my world, there are a lot of things go back to food and the diet, but it's really true. Food and diet are kind of connected to this, and the fact is kind of as an illustration, because food is not the enemy, but it can become the enemy. And the same way when you're talking about greed or money, we live in a world where we've got to exchange currency and resources and money. And money is not the problem, but it can become the problem. Uh, and because we can't, we can't just pull away from the world system and just kind of go off grid and do what we want to do. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And, and this world has a certain way of doing things. And if we're not careful, we can get caught up into that. And so you're going to receive if you're going to be in this world. You're going to go do a job. You're going to get paid for that job. You're going to buy things with, with, with money. You're going to sell things with money. You're, you're, you're going to go here. You're going to go there. There's, there's a complete exchange that goes along. And as you're doing that, you're receiving and you're getting. And there are two types of getters, if you would. And that is a correct grammatical word. I checked it this week with the staff. We had a big argument about it. There are two types of getters that we see. The first type of getter is vel- what I call Velcro getters. Velcro getters. This is basically the mentality that everything sticks to them. It's the two-year-old mentality of everything's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. The mentality here is that you're blessed to be blessed. <laughs> that the reason why you have what you have is all for you to amass and to enjoy and to consume all that you possibly can. Now let me talk about this because this mentality is linked to a word that we, we know very well in the American society, and that's called materialism. Materialism would be the first cousin to greed. And materialism is not an amount, it's an attitude. Always remember that. This isn't in your notes, this is kind of for free. But materialism is not about an amount, it's an attitude. Some people say to me, well, what's materialistic? I mean, like, how much money is too much money? And, and, and how much is too, too much to spend on this? Or, or how much of a house is too big? Or how much of, of, of a car is too nice? Or, or how much of a vacation is too much? Or, or how much of a vacation... And, and the problem with that is that it's the wrong question. It's not about how much. It's about the attitude that goes along with that. It has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with the attitude. Because I know people 
who don't have anything, and they're the most materialistically obsessed individuals you've ever come across. Because they always think about what everybody has and what they want and how they can get more and how can they can amass more. And, and, and they're always sitting around and thinking about, you know, if I do this, if I do this. if the, I mean, the lottery system <laughs> is built on the backs of people that are just wanting to get rich. And most of the people, statistically speaking, basically just kind of work, live paycheck to paycheck, just hoping that one day they'll strike it rich. But they will, you look at the lifetime of what they spend on little scratch cards and, and this type of deal and this type of lotto, and, and, and it's crazy amounts of money over, the, over their lifetime, over their span of time. Where do you think those $25 million that go to the jackpot winners, where does it come from? It comes from the people that go to Pickens Cave and go, hey, I'll have a $2 car. I want the $1 scratch and step. Hey, you guys got that $5 card? Yeah. All right. That's where it comes from. It's, it's, it's not an amount. It's a mindset. And to the person that makes $30,000 a year, they probably get a person that makes $100,000 and go, that's materialistic. That kind of lifestyle is over the top. But to the person that makes $100,000 a year, they may say, hey, the guy that's making a quarter mil, that's way over the top. And to the person making a quarter million, they may say, you know what? A half million dollars, that's over the top. Are any of them right? No, because it, it, materialism, especially going back to Scripture, that has no theological water. It never had to do with the amount. Matter of fact, there were a lot of people in Scripture that were very blessed. And there were a lot of people that weren't. <laughs> but it was all about attitude. And here's the big question. How do you know if you're materialistic or not? It's not do you have things. It's do things have you. It's not what kind of car you have in the driveway or what kind of house you'll go home to tonight or how much money that you have in the bank or how much money that you made this year or what your third quarter bonus is going to look like. It, it's all about the fact of do those things have you? Do they drive you? Do they own you? Are you a slave to those things because you've got to keep up an image or keep up a look or keep up a lifestyle or you want this or that or the other? See, that's the question. The question isn't what the amount is. The question is what's the attitude. And the attitude is, do things have you or do you have things? So that's Velcro getters. Everything sticks to them. And the second type of getter is what I call a Teflon getter. Totally opposite of Velcro. Everything slides. Everything just kind of passes through their hands. And they, look, they understand that, that it's a stewardship and, and, and that life's a stewardship and the resources are stewardship and that they're blessed to be a blessing. And it's not that they don't have, it's not that they don't maybe live in a nice home or whatever, but, but it's the fact that they realize that they are there to leverage the resources that God's given them in order to help other people. It's, things don't own them. They have things, but things don't have them. Huge difference. Proverbs 11, 24, 25, and 26 Speak directly to this Velcro getter and this Teflon getter. Let's read this together. Verse 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. And another withholds unduly, without excuse, but he comes to poverty. Verse 25. A generous man will prosper, but he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 26. People curse the man who hoards up the grain, but the blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. Velcro getters, Teflon getters. Now, what's God's remedy for greed? Generosity. That's what I want to talk to you about, generosity. See, because I, 
again, growing up in church, I would hear a pastor go on and on and on about the sin of greed and how it's wrong and how you shouldn't do this. And, and everybody in the room is kind of like, hey, we, we got that, McFly. We, we got it, really. We, we understand it. But how do we change it? How do we kill that greedy spirit? How do we, well, God's answer for that is a word called generosity. It's an attitude called generosity. But it, in order to, under, to, to know what you have to do, you have to understand exactly what generosity is. Generosity is, is the opposite of, of greed. See, greed is all about selfishness, and generosity is all about being selfless. Greed is all about hoarding up, and generosity is all about giving away. Greed is holds a tight grip and generosity shares freely. Greed is closed-fisted and generosity is open-handed. Greed is, a, is all about a list of, of what I want and generosity is all about a list of how I can help other people. Generosity, Paul talks about this. If you want to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look and Paul deals directly with this subject of generosity. And he says basically in this passage of, of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through, uh, through 11 that we're going to hit today, he says this. It's basically three things. And the first thing that generosity is, it's an attitude. We hit it on just a little bit just a second ago, but it's an attitude. Generosity is an attitude, first and foremost. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7, Paul says this. Each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't love givers. God doesn't love money. God doesn't need your money. <laughs> God loves cheerful givers. It's all about an attitude. I, I love this passage because it says you shouldn't give under guilt. You shouldn't give because you feel bad about something. You shouldn't give because you feel pity on something. You shouldn't give because, well, I'm feeling pressured to give. You should give because you've made a decision in your heart what you want to do. And in the context of that, that you're giving it cheerfully. You're giving it, that adjective, adjective cheerful describes the attitude in which you're giving. You're not just taking your your tithe or your offering and slamming it in the, in, the, in the bucket as it goes by. You're not mumbling under your breath, going, man, I can make a new boat payment if I don't have to pay this tithe. This church. I'll tell you what, what are they going to do? Buy another screen with this stuff? <laughs> but a cheerful giver. And it's a decision that you decide to do that. See, that's what's interesting about that passage. He said each man should decide what he's going to give. And when he gives, it should be cheerful. Meaning you have control on the attitude in which you give. You have control on the way in which you give. And it should be something that you have talked about with your spouse. Or you've personally made a decision if you're, if you're a single adult or, or a student in this room. And you should decide what you want to do and how you want to do it. And the way God wants you to is for you to decide, not under compulsion, not because a preacher stand up there to ask you to, not because they're playing your favorite song, not because you feel pity or sorrow or compassion, but simply because of the fact that you've chosen in your heart that you're going to operate with the attitude of generosity towards the things of God. And then you give. That's how God wants you to give. So if you ever feel pressured at Life Church to give, don't give. Whoa, what did he just say, Margaret? Let's rewind that tape. If you ever feel pressured at Life Church to give, don't give. You need to do what God tells you to do. You need to not respond to me, you need to respond to Him. 
Listen, if you'll respond to him and his words, all of the things that God orders around here will be paid for. Do you understand that? You, you don't need to walk around with, with this pressure. And that's one of the things where when we, when we take up an offering, we, we try to always provide vision behind what we're doing and not about need. Because people don't respond to need. God doesn't respond to need. God always responds to vision. Why? Because it's an attitude of your heart. It's something you should be, be decisive to do. How do you know if you've got an attitude of generosity in your life? Here's a great question. I don't even think this is in your notes. But here's a question to ask yourself. Do you personally have a strategy to give? Do you personally have a strategy to give? You have a strategy to save. You have a strategy to spend. Some of you have a strategy to get out of debt. Some of you have a strategy and save for college. Some of you have a strategy to save for retirement. Some of you have a strategy in how you're going to be able to save for a vacation or are you going to be able to pay for Christmas. But do you have a strategy? Do you have a plan? Do you have a goal in mind that how you're going to give, how you're going to be generous? Are you strategically generous? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Do I have a strategy to give? Do, do I know, hey, here's what I'm doing. And, and last year I gave X amount of percent of my income for the work of ministry. And this year I want to increase that. And here's how I'm going to do it. And, and last year we were able to do this for missions. And this year we're going to in, increase that. And, and, and last year this is something that we did. And, and this year this is something we're going to do. And my goal is that in 10 years here's where I want to be financially. Because you have financial goals. And if you've sat down and talked with a financial planner to be able to plan for retirement, you have an idea. Even if, if you're working for a pension, you, you have an idea of how you're going to. Cause it, because at some point in time in the American mindset, we all want to... In the words of Johnny Paycheck, take this job and shove it. And we, we want to go do what we want to do, right? You don't? Nobody does? Everybody's like, no, not really. Some of you are still thinking about that question. You're going, I never thought about that. I mean, I love God. I mean, I bring the tithe. I mean, I, I feel like I'm a generous person, but I don't know that I exactly have a strategy. But think about that. In our culture, we think about savings. We think about debt. We think about vacation. We think about a, a car that we want or, or, or a new this that we want or a new item that we want or a new house or, or this or that. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff. I've already declared that earlier. So don't go, oh, he's against people having things. No, have it. Do it. Invite me over. So, you, what, right? Just all of that. There's nothing wrong. But at the end of the day, do you have a strategy to give? It's the first question. The second thing that, that Paul says is when it comes to generosity, to develop a spirit of generosity, uh, generosity, it's more than just an attitude, it's an action. It's an action. It's not just uh, words, it's an action. And he says in verse number 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So if I want generous harvest, I've got to be a generous sower. And if I want sorry harvest, then I've got to be a sorry sower. Right? Sorry, that's a nearly inspired version. Is that good? It's real simple. God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, that's what he reaps. That's what Galatians 6, 9 says. And so at the end of the day, it's not just do I have this attitude, but do I actually have action? Am I actually following through? Last night at Married Life Live, you miss, if you missed Married Life Live, you need to get on, on the next one. It was a great time. We had a lot of fun. But the speaker last night talked about uh, this whole subject of, of work-life balance. And, and one of the, one of the um, principles that kind of came out of that was this thing that, that uh, uh, direction 
not desire, determines your destination. Direction in life, not desire, determines your destination. Direction, where you're actually going, not your desire, where you want to go. Like Dorothy, you want to click your heels because you want to go home, right? Actually will equal your destination where you're going to wind up. And the illustration that I gave last night was this. If, if you tell me, hey, I want to go to Florida. Our family's been planning a vacation to Florida, and we've got the minivan packed up, and we're headed to Florida. But you were on I-43 northbound. Your desire is to wind up in, in, in Panama City, but your direction is Escanaba, Michigan. And if we saw a car going northbound out of Milwaukee, with the full intent of, and they were telling you, we're going to Florida, you would say, no, you're not. You're getting further and further away from, from Florida, and you're getting closer and closer to Canada, and Canada is nowhere near Florida. And, and you would think, and if I said, no, we're really going to Florida, you would think I was crazy. But so many times in life, we have a desire to want to do something, but the direction of our life is diametrically opposed to our words and we wind up in a different destination and then we have this conversation how did I get here how did I just wind up here well you didn't just wind up there you're a sum total of the choices and decisions that you made but but I didn't want to be here well I believe that I really wanted to be there I, I get that but your direction in life where you're actually going what you're actually doing is going to determine where you're going to wind up not your desire and when it comes to generosity, that's very true. Because I remember hearing people all growing up would say, well, if I had a million dollars, I would. And if I had the money, I would. And if I had this, I would. And I kind of call that a case of if I had. Well, if I had, I would do this. And if I had, I would do that. And have you ever found that the people that always sit around and say, I wish I may, I wish I might have this wish I wish tonight, never have anything? The people that always go, if I had a million dollars, Randy, here's what I would do. They never have anything. Why? Because they spend their whole life desiring something with no direction in that, in, 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 that, in that area. And so their destination is completely different than where they wanted to wind up. Because their direction, not their desire, determines their destination. And so when you're talking about generosity, the question is, is your generosity a direction in your life or is it a desire? Because if your generosity is just a desire, one day I want to do something great for missions. One day I, I want to do something great for, 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 for people that, that are less fortunate. One day I'd really like to build a Habitat for Humanity house. One day I'd really like to give this amount of money to the church. One day I'd really would like to do this. One day I'd really like to start this, this nonprofit. You're wishing. And if you're not careful, you'll wake up one day and you will have wished your life away. And you'll look and you'll say, but my heart was right. Yeah, it was. My desire was, was, was pure. Yeah, it was. Well, I, why did I not get where I wanted to go? Because you never put any steps. You never put any feet on that. You didn't go in that direction. You were headed to Escanaba talking about Panama City, and you never got there. And so the question, these are questions for you to ask, because honestly, nobody can answer this but you, is just simply this. Is this a desire, or is this a direction? Because if it's a desire and it's not a direction, it'll never culminate into doing anything. I'll never be able to accomplish the things that I want to do. Speaking of generosity. But if it's a direction, I can get there. I may have to take baby steps. It may take me a while, but I can get there. 
And the last thing that Paul talks about is that generosity is not just an attitude or an action, but it's actually a harvest. There's actually an end result in this. There's a harvest. There's an end. And he says it like this in, in, in verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all time, having all that you need, you will, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. This is speaking of God. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply increase and, and will, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. God your source is what he's saying. Verse 11. So that you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. These are very declarative statements here. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be made rich in every way so that you will be generous on every occasion through, and, though, and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. If you have an attitude of generosity, you'll kill greed in your life. If you have the actions of generosity in your life, you'll actually do something with your life. And if you will have the attitude and the act coupled with the action of generosity that your direction will also be your desire and vice versa, it will result in a harvest in your life. And I've seen this over and over and over again. And this is what, what God's word says, is that, is that at the end of the day, if you really truly have a desire to want to do something for the kingdom, you have a desire to want to do something for people that are less fortunate, you have a desire to want to be a generous giver, you have a desire to want to be generous, and, and, and it's not just money, but it's in our time, it's our talents. It's, it's, at the end of the day, if you will have an attitude, that's a choice that you make. And if you will actually put action to what you're doing, even though it may be small steps, they're incremental. It's kind of like compound interest. You're on the right side of it. You just keep putting it away. Putting it away, putting it away, putting it away. It's amazing how much $50 a month can, can accrue over 20, 30, 40 years with compounded interest in its, in its stead. Then all of a sudden what you'll do is that you will find yourself harvesting and you'll be able to abound in everything at all times because God's your source. And on every occasion, you'll be able to be generous. I don't know about you, but when I read that phrase that Paul writes, that on every occasion I can respond with generosity. That's where I want to end up. It, I learned a long time ago that I can't outgive God. Not just with finances, but with my time, with my energy, with everything else. And, and that's really... Tammy and I said out a long time ago and said, you know, we understand that tithing is a biblical principle. And people get so hung up on tithing that people email me and they text me and they ask me questions. And that's totally fine and everything else. And everybody argues and postures on this subject and all this kind of mess. At the end of the day, I want to say it's a benchmark. I mean, it's not a benchmark. It's a starting point. This is not what he intended. This is not what Jesus intended. He intended for you to give everything and just take what you need to live life. He doesn't have a problem with your stuff. He has a problem with stuff owns you, not if you have stuff. It doesn't matter if you're driving a beater in the parking lot or if you're driving an E-Class Mercedes. He doesn't care. Jesus didn't drive either one, okay? Just in case you were wondering. They hadn't been in cars yet. Some of you are just now getting that. It'll hit you about 9 o'clock and I go, oh. It has nothing to do with that. 
It has everything to do with where's my attitude in my heart? And do I really have a strategy to want to do something? And I, Tammy and I sat down early on in marriage and said, you know, um, we really want to get to a place in our life. We would love to get to a place in our life. We desire to get to a place in our life where we actually can invert the process, where we could live on the 10% and give away the 90. Not because we're fat, nasty, loaded. Not because we come from families with money, because we don't. Not because I have some trust fund that when I turn 60, I get or something. Not because there's some key man policy on me that if I die, she gets a bunch of money, I mean, you know, and so she's going to kill me or whatever. It's not, it, it's just the deal of saying, if we just begin now, and incrementally, we just try to move at a half percent or a percent every year. And we just try to do that. And, and we put some strategic things together that, quite frankly, I don't really feel comfortable saying, but just some things that we need to do, that we can do. It's amazing to me how God has honored that and has blessed that. Because think about it. If God wants to reach someone that's in need, how's he going to do it? Is he going to show up with some angel that comes and rings the doorbell and gives them some magical check? No, he's going to use you. There's a single mom that has a beater of a car that keeps breaking down, and God's desire is that she would have something that would be amenable for her children to get her kids back and forth to school and to work, and she's doing everything she can, and she truly is somewhat a victim of her circumstance and not because of stupid decisions that she's made, but just life has happened. Who do you think he's going to give the resources to? To you, to the church. If there are needs that are in our community or in the world that we live in, who do you think he's going to give that to? And I'm not preaching socialism, okay? I don't believe that the world is flat and that we just need to redistribute wealth. And economically speaking, that holds no water. At the end of the day, I'm talking about, though, an attitude that I go, God, you have blessed me. And I don't want to be a Velcro getter. I want to be a Teflon getter. And it's not that I'm going to go live out in a cardboard box on the street and let my family go hungry. Because Paul says, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. Basically, he says, go get a job. Right? Don't just go sell everything you have and then show up and live at my house. I'm going to tell you, go get some of that money and that stuff back and get a place, get a roof over your head and provide for your family and take care of things. But at the end of the day, what are you doing to leverage that in what you have? Does that make sense? This is not about a guilt message that you shouldn't have things or that you shouldn't be blessed or your children shouldn't be well taken care of. But it's a thing that when you look economically at where we are and you look at this and the world that we live in, we live in a world, especially in American culture and society, that is so materialistic and greed-driven. And the only way to kill that is through generosity. And the question to ask yourself on the whole harvest thing is, and this is how... Is just simply this. Do I really believe that God will perform his word? Do I really believe that God's word, what he wrote right there, is really true? Or should I go home and take a pair of scissors and cut it out and go, I don't believe that? Because if you really believe it, it's right. these aren't my words. This isn't my idea. I didn't come up with my three points and go, where, where can I find this fitting in scripture? It's what it says. That if I will not trust in life church, not give to life church. This is not a life church message. But if I'll be generous, and if I'll operate with an attitude of generosity, and if I will have a strategy and a plan to continue to develop that in my life, God will bless me in a way so that on every occasion I can be generous. I mean, isn't it fun when there's a missionary that's here, you're able to give to that missionary? 
That's a cool feeling because I talk to some people sometimes they go, I really would like to give, but I, I have nothing to give. Literally, I am so, I'm so bound with debt or poor decisions or whatever I can't give. Isn't it cool to see a need? If you've never done this, I'd triple dog dare you to do this, to see a need that you see. And there's a reason why you see it. It doesn't go through church. It's not presented on the platform. It's just a need that you see. Maybe it's at your office. Maybe it's at in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just something you become aware of. Maybe you became aware of a need this past week. And you go, I'm going to meet that need. Anonymously. I'm just going to do something. I'm telling you, if you've never done that, it is the most exhilarating thing you can do. Do you really believe that God's word is what it is about this subject? Because ultimately, the last question is, you have to ask yourself this, am I greedy or am I generous? And the only person that can answer that is you.